Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. I'm warning you now, no singing. I promise you, no singing. Okay, thanks. Okay, okay. Our subject today, what's a who's a bodhisattva? What's a who's a what's a? Bodhisattva, the bodhisattva roster. The great bodhisattva stars. The stars, are, are there like baseball cards for bodhisattvas? There actually are. I've seen them in <laughs> uh, places. Uh, yes, I, I've seen these. There are for kids, actually. It comes with bubble gum. Uh, your bodhisattva uh, blow up. Anyway, uh, yes, our subject today is the bodhisattvas, and the subject is what's a bodhisattva, and what do you think a bodhisattva is, Kurt? Um, a bodhisattva is someone who has vowed to free all sentient beings. Yes, which makes uh, you and me and the average run-of-the-mill Buddhist bodhisattvas with a small b, because we take the bodhisattva, I said the bodhisattva bows, but it's the <laughs> bodhisattva vows. To uh, rescue all sentient beings. Is there an English translation of the word bodhisattva that would be easier? Bodhisattva means a being, and bodhi uh, sattva means a being, and bodhi basically means one who is awakened and wise. Okay, so wise beings, it doesn't sound very Buddhist. Yeah, it means a wise guy. Yeah, okay, right. So it's a New Jersey thing. It's a Jersey thing, yeah. They're bodhisattvas bo in Jersey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's the small B bodhisattva, you and me. Right. We're here today to talk about your big B, big old superstar bodhisattva. Can I just interject that in addition to taking a bodhisattva vow, I have taken a bodhisattva vow to liberate all the birds in my garden by providing them food all year round. That's a bodhisattva vow, <laughs> yes. All right, let's get on to the roster. Who's, who's the best ultimate left fielder bodhisattva? Well, the, 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 let's go right for the pitcher, man. Okay. Shakyamuni Buddha, before he was the Buddha, was a bodhisattva. For a bodhisattva is someone who is on the path to enlightenment, someone who has Buddha nature within and works to become a Buddha. And Shakyamuni is the one who made it. So he was a bodhisattva, now he's... The Buddha. So the idea of the Bodhisattva existed before Shakyamuni Buddha? Or is it a sort of retroactive thing? Actually, the, the concept of Bodhisattva changed in the history of, of Buddhism. In early Buddhism, it was just someone on the path to Buddhahood. As it came, you know, into the Mahayana, the, the northern tradition, it became these great, almost superhuman figures. But Shakyamuni was, before he was the Buddha, was a bodhisattva. And actually, he may have been for many lives, you know, uh, until this life when he became the Buddha. So anyway, he's no longer a bodhisattva. He went from being, you know, amongst the bodhisattva union, he went into management. He's now the Buddha. 
so we can move on from him. So he's the pitcher, the quarterback. He's the, the head honcho. He's the head honcho now, right. Okay. And then we've got all these other great bodhisattvas, who, by the way, are also manifestations of Buddha in the cosmic sense. Okay, this is getting a bit trippy and complicated. Have I blown your mind, man? Yes, you know that there, there's the I- image of Buddha who is the whole universe, and then there is the image of Buddha that is somehow beyond this world. Somehow all the, the good qualities of, of what a Buddhist would wish to be are, are encompassed within these bodies, these superhuman bodies of, of the Buddha, which we'll talk about in another... Ask me when we're going to talk about that. When are we going to talk about that? Another episode. Okay. But uh, for today, we'll say that these uh, bodhisattvas are emanations of all the good qualities of a Buddha. But what they have done is something very, very kind of them. Which is? Do you know what that is, Kurt? No. Could you tell me what that is? They said that we can become a Buddha anytime. But we're going to stick back here, down in the streets, to help the people who need us. Okay. We're going to stay here in the messy world, and we will not become Buddhas. We will not become enlightened until everyone else does, including you and me. Okay. Now, this sounds, when you're talking about that the bodhisattvas are emanations of the Buddha, and they're kind of reflections of different parts of the Buddha, how is this different from? Um, saints in Christianity. I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I... Because saints all have their specialties. There's the saint of travel. There's the saint of good fortune. <clears throat> there's the saint of Jewish delis. Well, maybe not Jewish delis, but... I, you know, I got to tell you, I don't take it... You know me, the old skeptic. Yeah. I don't take it quite literally either. Now, for thousands of years, I'm telling you, people did take it quite literally, that these are great forces of a realm we cannot quite see who are willing to lend a hand, and they are very much like the saints in the Catholic religion. Right. They are there, like, uh, let's say, Maria or John or Peter or, you, you know, all the, those guys with the, those Goyesha names that are the saints there. Uh, yes, they are... Uh, willing to be there when we need. And for thousands of years, when people were in need, when they were sick, when their kid was sick, when there was a storm approaching, uh, you called on the saints, you called on the bodhisattvas, just the same. Okay. So if we look at the bodhisattvas as a baseball team, we had the pitcher. Yes. Who's on first? You know, it's funny you said that, because I I wanted to compare these guys. These are the all-stars of you know the bodhisattva roster i was going to say if this was a basketball team like uh the the basketball bodhisattvas we, we're talking about people like michael jordan dr j i actually looked up if this was uh, american uh british uh, soccer there would be people like fred truman and alistair cook which is uh, supposed to be a kind of joke for our british fans because those are actually cricket guys i know guys that's <laughs> not actually those are actually not soccer well, it's not even football. Right. Football okay. People. But anyway, these are the superstars. And so who's next, did you say? No, I said who's on first. Who's on first has to be Canon, Guan Yin. Okay. 
Avalokitesvara. Can you say that fast? Avalokitesvara Bodhisattvas? Avalokitesvara Bodhisattva. Three times. Avalokitesvara. Right. The guy on first. Right. There you go. There you go. Avalokitesvara is got to be number one. The Bodhisattva of compassion, often seen with a thousand arms and hands, uh, each one with an eye on it, each eye to see the suffering of one of us, and each hand there to lend a hand, should we need. Pretty neat. And I guess in the cosmology of bodhisattvas, we only see a thousand in the representations, but there's an infinite number of hands and an infinite number of eyes. Infinite, as the Buddhists say, as more than there are sands within sands of the sands of the Ganges. Yes, exactly. That would make a great shortstop with all those hands. In some of the representations, she's got a, a tool in each hand. So all you'd have to put is, is a baseball glove on each hand, and uh, you got <laughs> it. Yeah, and if you put a bat in the other hands, you know, she can even play offense. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So canon, now, as I said, I didn't take this literally, but I'm going to tell you something. There is one sense when I say canon is as real as real can be. Can you guess what that is? Um, no, I can't, actually. When you or I do an act of compassion, ah. we are canon's hands and eyes. When we see someone in need and we lend an a, a hand, canon becomes a real force in the universe, you see. So canon is an idea, the idea of compassion and helping people. And the image of yes. canon is just an image to spawn that idea in us. I would say so. Yes. Okay. I would say so. But a lot of traditional Buddhists would argue with me and say canon is, you know, really out there. And I say, I want to shake her hands. Hands, yeah. If she's, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of shaking. Yep. A lot of hands to shake. Okay, so Cannon was on first base. What about second? Let's see, where should we go? Well, Cannon, you can never have too much compassion. So I would say, we'll go now to Jizo Kistigarba. I'll just say Jizo. Uh, who, Jizo is much easier, yeah. Now, Jizo is, I would say, much more popular in Japan than anywhere else. And Jizo is a lovely little guy. Now, Jizo, I'll tell you what Jizo's role is. Jizo, first off, would rescue people who were in hell or any realm. So in my neighborhood here, there are many sets of six Jizo statues. Wait, you, you're... They're standing there. You're in a neighborhood of hell? No, well, no, it's actually a very nice neighborhood. That's not the point. <laughs> But there are many, many places around town you will see six Jizo statues standing side by side because Jizo is prepared to go into any of those realms we spoke about in the last episode. The realm of the animals, the realm of the hungry ghosts, the realm of hell, even up to the realm of heaven, down here on earth anywhere, to the fighting... Fighting you know? Asuras? Asuras? Yes, sir, as you remember. Yes. yes. Yeah, he'll go all those places to help him. Jizo goes down there and helps everybody else. And so Jizo is also someone you can call on when you're very much in need. But there is another way Jizo became popular, especially here in Japan. If you go to temples, you will see thousands of cute little Jizo statues in children's clothes with bibs, with little toys in front of them, because they came to represent the helpers of children who didn't quite make it into this world. Maybe for... Uh, a miscarriage, maybe a child who passed too early, maybe an abortion. But the parents will purchase a little Jizo doll, place it in a temple, 
and place toys and other candies and things in front of it. And it's it's really quite, it makes me cry and smile at the same time whenever I see it, to be honest. But they'll do this at the temple. They won't have a Jizo in their home, will they? Mm, good question. I don't know the answer to that, okay. but I think, no, it's usually in the temple. Okay. Um, and that makes me think, do people have, um, we're used to seeing these Tibetan tankas, these, you know, paintings of all the different bodhisattvas. Do people have something similar in Zen in their homes? I know that people have a, a sort of a shrine in their home, but that just has a calligraphy. It doesn't have an image, right? Well, the shrine is usually for uh, speaking to the ancestors, uh, which we could talk about again in another episode about how... In another episode. That's more of a Shinto thing, right? Well, no, it's actually a traditional Asian belief that got all mixed up in Buddhism, but let's put that aside for now. I would say that, especially in the old days, before you had doctors and, and other means of support, people were incredibly attached to these bodhisattvas as much as an Italian grandma's attached to her saints, I'm telling you. Yes, these were the people you turned to when you needed help. Okay, so we've had Canon and Jizo. What's next on third base? Yeah, well, we have, uh, let's see, Samantra Bhadra. He's kind of a more abstract one. I call him uh, uh, bad boy Samantha Bhadra. Okay. But uh, he represents wisdom. He represents seeing the great interconnection of the universe, right? Uh, he's good. He's a, a bit, uh, if you're into the wholeness and flowing, I always talk about. Samantha Bhadra is all about that. And then we have, Manjusri, who's all about wisdom, which is also about, you see, we've had two on the, the, the compassion side. Now we've got two kind of on the wisdom side. Manjushri is the one with the sword, right? Yes, the sword that cuts things in one. Yes. Clever. That uncuts yes. all the division of the world and brings it together into wholeness. If you go into the Zen uh, room, the Zen hall, the statue in the middle is not Buddha, it's Manjushri, who's sitting there dressed as a monk, sitting Zazen, holding that sword. Because what we're doing when we sit Zazen meditation is to bring the world together into its wholeness. And that's what uh, Manjushri represents. That's an interesting metaphor. And I think you have people who buy these statues to put in their homes of a Buddha or a Manjushri or a canon or whatever. But I don't think enough of them understand that this has a value other than just something that represents Buddhism, that these individuals, they have their specifics, their areas of focus, the areas where they act. But really, they're each other. You got to remember, everything in, in uh, Mahayana Buddhism is kind of each other in other guys. And let me explain how. Now, if you, if you talk to average people, you're going to find more statues, yes, in people's homes, too, about Canon and Jizo than you will about Manjusri and Samantabhadra, who are more, shall we say, philosophical about the wholeness of all things. Well, Canon and Jizo are about compassion and love and helping, which we can relate to more. So if you go to, you know, the average person, they're more attracted to Canon and Jizo than Manjusri and Samantabhadra. But you got to remember, in Buddhism, when we find the wholeness, that's the real way to help people. People are sick and they're suffering, but we remind them that there's something beyond that that Manjusri and Samantabhadra stand for. And so really, Avalokitesvara and Krishna Garba, Garba are on the same team as Samantabhadra and Manjusri. Say that three times fast. I won't try. 
I, I think now we've got our infield. We've got the pitcher, which was uh, Buddha Shakyamuni. We've got first base with Cannon. We've got second base with Jizo. We had Samantha Badra. We'll put him on third base. Manjushri is going to be shortstop. What about the team manager? Dogen is definitely the manager of the team, but we don't see a lot of iconography of Dogen. There are only a couple of paintings that you see reproduced all the time. No one makes little Dogen statues. He's not a bodhisattva. He's not a bodhisattva except a small b bodhisattva like us, you know. He was just a guy, a man. So I wouldn't put Dogen, no, and he's not in the same league here. Okay. Yeah, maybe a manager. Yeah, he's in the back office. Okay. But let's let's go to the pitcher's warm-up. Warming up his arm in the pit, okay? Maitreya, Maitreya, who is the future Buddha. Right. Who is uh, basically our Jesus who will come back someday and make everything right. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of talk of when he's coming back. Some There's some fellows, if you go around the internet, they claim to already be him and back. Like there's also some people who claim to be Jesus right now too. I, I, I have my doubt. Yeah. Okay, let me just say I have my doubt. Yeah. But Maitreya will be coming back anywhere from, I don't know, five minutes from now to several cosmic eons right. down the road. We're not exactly sure, but he's coming. He's coming. So Maitreya is warming up and he'll be the relief pitcher for the Buddha. He will be the new Buddha. Right. So it'll be the Buddha Maitreya instead of the Buddha Shakyamuni. That's right. I'm not sure if you got to change your name, uh, but I, yes, I think it will just be, okay. yes, he will just be the Buddha Maitreya. Okay. Right. So what else? What can we put in the outfield now? Well, we got a really popular guy who's the layman, the Millikerti. By the way, can I go back to something about Canon? I, I got to go back to something Canon we, we left out. It's very important. Okay. Even though it's out of place, it doesn't matter. We, we, the, if people remember who Canon is, Canon made the great sex change, you know. Started off as a man, became a primarily female figure. There are actually some. Uh, pictures and statues of uh, Canon where he, she has breasts and a mustache because it was kind of in transition. This is very, uh, how to say, encouraging for this day and age we live in. Why did Canon start off as a guy and, and, and become uh, uh, apparently physically female? Because probably the female was associated more with the softness of compassion. Little footnote about Canon before we move on. A lot of the statuary of Canon that you see, of her holding a baby with a veil over her, looking a lot like Mary, is because it's Mary. <laughs> Very much influenced by Christian statuary that came into China and uh, other places in the 19th century with the statue of Jesus being held by the Madonna influenced the artwork of Canon. So if you have a Canon statue and Canon looks a lot like the Madonna, I'm not talking about the singer. I'm talking about the, you know, the original. Yeah. That's because it is. The artist copied the Christian statuary. Final footnote, the secret Christians in Japan, when they wanted to hide their Christianity, would put a Canon statue, which was really Madonna. But they would, the, the inspector from the police would come in, see the cannon, say, oh, okay, you're kosher, <laughs> and uh, give him a pass. How can you tell if it was a Christian cannon or a Buddhist cannon? They would hide a little crucifix on the statue somewhere. 
Ah. Okay. 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 Can we get back to now? We now we came back back. Can we get back to vanilla turkey? Not vanilla turkey. Vanilla curti. Ah. Okay. Yes, vanilla curti, incredibly popular with many lay practitioners through the ages, not just now, I'm talking about back in China and Japan, because Vamilakirti was the layperson who put all the others to shame. I'm not talking about just all the other bodhisattvas, but even the original uh, members of the, the Buddhist posse who came to him. Uh, they all came to him in the sutra, the Vamilakirti Sutra, to kind of show their stuff. And Vamilakirti, with his wisdom, kind of laid him to waste. None of them were wrong in the teachings they gave to Vamilakirti, but Vamilakirti, how, how to say, always had one thing wiser to say or show. Okay, but doesn't that sound a little bit like, you know, trying to show off? Well, but it was important because, you know, in, in a world where the monks and the ordained folks seem to have everything, this showed to lay people that you can have a practice as powerful or more powerful than any anyone, including the great Bodhisattva. So it's an Vermilakirti is an incredibly popular figure. Plus, you know, you've always had a lot of wealthy people yeah. supporting Buddhism yeah. and who are Buddhism, you know, the as we say, the upper middle way. Yes. <laughs> or the upper, upper middle way. Well, Vamilakirti was a rich man. And somehow he put the camel through the needle's head here. Mm. You know, the eye of the needle. The Vermilakirti says that he had wealth, but he was not attached to it. He had family, but somehow he he handled it with wisdom. He even would go out into the, the stores, the malls, the whatever they had. They didn't have malls in India, but you get my point. He would even go into the bars and bordellos to preach the Dharma. Somehow he stayed pure in a complicated world. So he was very popular with lay people living in a complicated world. All right. We just got a couple minutes. What's left on the team to round out the outfield? I'm going to say a strange one. Okay. Mara. The devil. Yeah, but Mara's evil. Yeah, so I'm not going to say a bodhisattva. I'm going to say, what's a Natsa bodhisattva here? Ah, that's the not in the title of the episode. Yeah, this is the anti-bodhisattva, which uh, Mara was the one, for example, when the Buddha was on the verge of becoming the Buddha, Mara came and suddenly and threw all kinds of temptations at him, like Jesus had when he was in the desert. Mara threw dancing girls at him, threw money, threw power... And the Buddha, you know, didn't get tempted and became the Buddha. Mara is the one when we feel temptation uh, to go in a, in a bad way. Mara is the one who leads us there. So why do I say Mara is a bodhisattva? Stephen Batchelor had a very interesting book. I'm not a big fan of all he's written, but this is my favorite Stephen Batchelor book, Living with the Devil. And he makes a very good case, not only in Buddhism, he looks at other religions too. In order to have good, you need to have the devil. You can't just you can't just have good without the foil, the 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 one who is the tempter, so you cannot be tempted. So uh, he actually says that God needs the devil, and Buddha, in a sense, to be Buddha also needs the devil. So I'm going to put Mara in there, bad as our bad boy, as kind of the anti bodhisattva. But again, Mara is there to be resisted, not. Don't don't buy what he's selling. Well, if we just take a slight right turn, Carl Gustav Jung talked about the shadow, which is the dark part of our our psyche, and that we need the shadow for the good part to thrive. Now, if we just use the sports metaphor again, 
Mara is like Nathan in Ted Lasso. Yes. The one who turns really evil at the end of the third season. That, that's the that's the that's the show about cricket. Yes, exactly. Okay, but we, you know, before we go, I got to mention there are, as you you pointed out, as many bodhisattvas as there are sands of the sands of the Ganji. We have only scratched the surface uh, here, and there are endless uh, bodhisattvas out there. And you and me, we can go if we stick with it. We can go from getting uh, small beads. We can also maybe someday be big B bodhisattvas too. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.